Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We continue to thank you for your word and for your truth and the way that it can uh, lead us and guide us and speak to us even today. We forbid you, enemy of God, from interfering with this morning in any way in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into your truth and uh, to guide and to fill this place and speak to each one of us. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Perhaps you've seen some of these videos, I've seen a couple of them online, where they will take uh, some professional athlete, right, like it's a a weightlifter or a soccer player or something like that, and they'll put a bunch of makeup on, and and so they'll dress them up like an old man, and then they'll go to some place where there's um, a public game going on. Maybe it's just like a pickup game, like, you know, at the park, or it's Muscle Beach, or something like that, and this professional athlete you know, and he's got his cardigan sweater on and whatever else, you know, and, and he hobbles out there. And, and then meanwhile, they've got hidden cameras, and basically they're just filming the reaction of everyone around, right? And the reaction normally starts off on, like, I hope this guy doesn't get hurt, and how did he sneak past security, and why is this guy here, you know? And then, and then he'll start to play, or he'll do his thing, you know, and maybe he'll, he'll fall down at first, and it, it looks pretty gruesome. But then he'll, you know, he'll do just, like, one or two things, you know, where people are like, okay, what's going on? And then just as things just kind of unravel, or not unravel, but just kind of progress, like, I mean, then he just starts to school everybody, you know, and they're like, well, what's going on? And then eventually perhaps they take off the makeup and he signs autographs or something like that. But it's always a fun video to, to watch, and I think one of the reasons why they're, they're so popular is because you know, because really you're, you're watching everyone else, because you know that the person that they think is the underdog is really the master, right? Like, they all think that this is the guy that's just going to, like, hurt himself walking across the field, but you know, you know that this guy is professional and he's about to school everybody, right? And it's, it's interesting because, actually, we see that storyline in a lot of places, right? I mean, even in fictional characters, right? Like, you think of, like, uh, you know, Superman or Spider-Man, right? Like, in the storyline, you know, it's mild-mannered Clark Kent who's actually Superman, you know? And so it's, it's a very popular storyline, So in scripture, when we see a Roman soldier having the best faith in the nation, it's kind of a similar storyline. And it's fun to watch it from our perspective because you read it and you go, okay, this guy who should not is actually the best at it. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, we're on a sermon series. We're going through the, the book of Luke. Uh, we're in uh, Luke 7. And um, so let me, let me read this to you, the, the first part. Uh, I'm going to be in chapter 7. And I'm just going to read the first 10 verses here to you. Um, and it's, uh, you know, my Bible, it, it gives it the little uh, heading, Jesus heals a centurion servant. Um, chapter 7. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. 
When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking them to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. While he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the ground, the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So uh, just kind of a little bit of background to, on some items in here to help us understand the, the story. The story of the centurion. Centurion was a commander in the Roman military who was in charge of a hundred soldiers, right? Century means a hundred years. Centurion means a hundred, right? And so it's, he's in charge of a hundred soldiers. Uh, so obviously this is a man of, of, of power and of influence. It's kind of interesting. I didn't realize this. There's only about maybe half a dozen times where a centurion is referenced in scripture and and like they're they're almost positive i mean not it's just kind of interesting they 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 do tend to just be um yeah like not the villains perhaps that that you would uh, presume um for instance you you're probably familiar with the story where you know jesus is on the cross and one of the soldiers sees it and says surely this man was the son of god that was actually a centurion who, who made that, that comment. Um, there's the other story where Peter is up on the roof and he sees the, the um, sheet come down and there's animals and, you know, it's like, go and eat. And then there's, you know, messengers show up and they say, we're here for Peter and please come preach the gospel. And so he shows up and this person had gathered all the friends because an angel visited him. That was a centurion who, who did that, who had that experience and, and called for those people. Um, Paul had, there was uh, discovered an assassination t- attempt against Paul. It was Centurion uh, who provided protection and transportation um, for Paul. When Paul is going to Rome un- under guard, it's a Centurion who, who takes him and their shipwreck together. And, and so it, it, it's actually almost positive in, in, in some of the ways that they get referenced throughout Scripture. Um, here in Luke, we have a Centurion, um, and he has this servant that he cares for, and it says at the point of death, Matthew, which also has this story, actually describes it as the servant as being paralyzed and in terrible suffering. So we don't know what happened to how we got there, but it sounds pretty, pretty rough. Um, it's also fascinating to me that the centurion sends some Jewish elders. Now, you, you got to remember that the Jews hated the Romans. right? The Romans were the occupying military force, and they, they hated the Romans. And even and and those that didn't hate the Romans were using the Romans to get rich, and then they were hated by their other fellow countrymen, right? So there's just as a general rule, the Jews hated the the Romans, and um, so to me, I find just in the beginning of the story, it's shocking that a Roman soldier and the local Jewish community get along so well. Uh, verse three: When the centurion heard about this, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation. He's the one who built our, our synagogue. So we have these Jewish elders, these influential men in the community, petitioning on his behalf. And he built a synagogue. Like, I just, my first question was, how much does it cost to build a synagogue? I feel like that would be expensive. So I don't even know how the guy has finances to build a synagogue or how he managed to pull that off. But, I mean, he, I mean, synagogue was their version of church. He basically built one for them. So that's pretty remarkable. It's interesting, too, to note, and I, I would, would point this out kind of as we get started, the incorrect underlying theology of these Jewish leaders that actually gets corrected by the centurion later on. But to begin with, the, the Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they tell him, they're, they're petitioning on his behalf, and they say, this centurion is worthy to have you do this miracle. As we have been looking at the life of Jesus, as recorded by Luke, and we're looking at all these, like, miracles, have you ever seen Jesus heal or Jesus free from, you know, some kind of demonic influence or ever do a miracle because someone was worthy? No. Like, you never, you never see that in the storyline where it's like, oh, well, this person is worthy, so I will heal this person or I will... Like, we never see that. And that's... That's sin. That's what sin did, is that it separated us, and no one is worthy. Worthy and grace are incompatible. If you have one, you can't have the other. You can't, if it required grace, you were not worthy. And if you're worthy, then grace was not required. Worthy and grace are, are incompatible. Um... It's interesting to note, actually, later on, that the centurion will actually say, I am not worthy. The, one of the things that, that we see often in Scripture is that, is that the Jewish people, the Israelites, often would think that they were worthy or that they were righteous or, or that they had special privilege for one of two reasons. One, their nationality. They thought, well, I'm Jewish, and so therefore God loves me, right? And so we get all this other kind of stuff. Or good works. They're like, if you, know, if you follow the law and you do all the good works, then, then God will consider you worthy. And Jesus just dismantles, dismantles both of those throughout his, his ministry, right? Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. He makes salvation available to all mankind. And it is never based on you being worthy. But, you know, will you repent? Will you ask forgiveness? Will you receive salvation? Now, as a little bit of an aside, just Romans 8, 9, 10, maybe into 11, it does talk about kind of some special... Um, uh, I don't know, just kind of some, some continued blessing and consequences for the Jewish people. The gospel came to them first. They ignored it. And so there's a couple other fascinating verses they basically got put at the end of the line. But, um, and God's promises are, are irrevocable. So uh, there, there is something unique that remains this day about the, the Jewish people. But salvation, relationship with God, is only, only, only ever through Jesus. Was the centurion a really great guy? Yeah, he probably was. You would probably love to have this guy in your community, in your church, that kind of thing. But did that make him worthy to receive special blessings, special treatment, miracles from Jesus? No, right? He was loved by Jesus, but he wasn't worthy. 
And then later on, he, he talks about how he was not worthy. Now, here is the part, though, where this guy goes from, like, really great community member to someone truly remarkable. And before I read this, this section of, of Scripture from you, let me just kind of give you the punchline, right? Jesus has been doing ministry for, what, a year or two now? He's been in Jerusalem, he's been in Israel, he's been in Galilee, he's done ministry all over, he's getting very popular, lots of people are coming to him, crowds are gathering. I mean, Jesus has, I think we can probably safely say, interacted with thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people, Jews, Gentiles, you know, villains and troublemakers to to top-level religious leaders, right? Just all these different people. And Jesus points to this Gentile, this Roman soldier... And says, this guy has more faith than any of you. This guy has more faith than I have ever seen in my life, right? And you got the 12 apostles in the batch, and you got all these other followers. And yet Jesus points to this guy and says, number one faith in the whole country. Twice, Scripture tells us that Jesus marveled. In John 6, 6, Jesus marveled at the unbelief of the Jews. And here in Luke chapter 7, Jesus marvels at the, face of the, at the faith of the centurion. Twice, only twice, does Jesus commend people for having great faith. One time was a Canaanite woman, where Jesus heals her daughter from, from a, a demon. And then this story well, with the centurion again. The elders made their petition, right? He's a great guy. He built a synagogue. Like, he, he really loves his people. Okay, like, that's, that's neat. That's good. But when Jesus looks at somebody and says, this guy has more faith than anyone I've ever met, like, that's impressive, right? Like, this is, so let's say, you know, you're at a party or, you're, you know, you're at some kind of gathering and you're getting to know one another and you're swapping stories and where you're from and who are your grandkids and what do you do for a living and whatever, and you're kind of chatting it up. When you find out that this is the guy that has number one faith in the entire country, it is that point where you simply shut your mouth and listen. Like you no longer have anything good to say. And the only time you talk is if you want to ask a question or if he asks you a question. Like that is, that is who this guy is. Verse 6, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you personally, right? But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. First lesson is that this man understands the authority of Jesus. Um, he understood the, the authority that, that Jesus had. Authority is when an individual has the right to command or to order or to, um, to, to tell someone what to do. We just talked about this in, in our Sunday school class this morning, talking uh, about um, authority. Um, 
the uh, shared this this morning, shared this with you again. Um, I think, and in, in, in class we were talking about the difference between authority and power. For me, one of the most helpful illustrations in understanding how authority work is the police officer, right? Uh, and again, we talked about this, right? But if I were to go stand in an intersection of traffic and hold up my arms, right, like nothing happens. Cars go whizzing by. But if a police officer goes and stands in traffic and holds up the arms, right, traffic stops. Why? It has nothing to do with the individual and everything to do with who they represent. The police officer wears the uniform, they have the badge, they have the gun, and they are there on behalf of, you know, city hall or the, the government or that kind of thing. And so there's recognition that when you come up, it, it's not you I'm obeying, but I recognize that you represent authority. You represent Again, you know, city hall or police station or that kind of thing. And it's not so much I'm going to disobey you, but I'm actually going to, you know, if I want to speed past, like, I need to decide whether or not, not just, I, you know, I'm going to disobey you, but rather not I want to disobey government. Because you're there as the ambassador of, of that government. And so only God has intrinsic authority, which is part of his character. Everything else, he takes his authority and he, he you know, carves out pieces of it and, and, and gives it away. And so this Roman soldier understands authority. And he understands that Jesus has a lot of it. And whether the fullness of that, that he is God or just that he has a lot of authority. But he understands authority. And Jesus' authority over diseases, over the demonic, the ability to heal, that kind of thing. As, as a quick reminder too it is easy to get caught up in the faith of the centurion it is amazing we are going to talk about that but also to just remember that at the heart of this that it is jesus who is the hero of this story right <laughs> what made the roman was so great is that he recognized that right like he just he recognized that jesus is the hero and that in all of these things that that jesus is the hero it's also interesting to me um how this man's profession taught him a significant spiritual lesson, right? He's in the military, and then when it comes to Christ or faith in Christ, we discover that he understands authority and faith better than anyone, and he references his career in the military as having taught him all these lessons around, around authority, right? And so it taught him what does it mean to submit to authority under you? Like, that's actually the first thing that he mentions, is being a man under authority, and then after that, having you know, people recognize your authority. And to me, it, it begs the question, what has your profession taught you about spiritual matters? Like, what insights do you have that others don't because of your career? And I bet if we were to sit down and talk long enough, we could find something for each of you. Accounting, law, farming, stay-at-home mom, teacher, medicine. Like, what? I, I bet every profession will afford you some kind of unique insight into spiritual matters that others might not have. Um, for a short time, I studied cell and molecular biology, right? And I got a glimpse into the detail of the cell works and, and how all, in the de and just the, the detail and the architecture of it. And that has been one of the most significant things that has informed and inspired my worship is understanding just the the beauty of, of the human body at the cellular level i forgot most of it <laughs> 
but it is it has informed and inspired my worship in in remarkable ways even even negatives right like to use again the the police officer or perhaps a social worker right like people who often deal with criminals or crimes or brokenness right people who who interact with just sin and suffering more than any others to to be able to look at that and then ask how great would grace have to be that it would even cover this this sin this crime this individual this suffering how great does grace have to be that it can even take care of this your profession has likely given you a unique insight into some spiritual matter that the rest of us can learn from first part of course looking at, at this man's understanding of authority secondly is how jesus commends the faith of this soldier you know hebrews 11 is a great chapter on faith helps us understand what is faith um, and at one point it very succinctly reads and this will, should be familiar now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen so faith is this unshakable belief that something will happen that that the thing that is hoped for will happen okay you believe you're going to heaven that's faith because you've never seen heaven but you're banking everything that that's going to be true right uh you believe in god faith you've never seen god but you just have that incredible conviction that he is real and and that this is true just this remarkable confidence and i think faith is actually strengthened when it's based on evidence and, and even witnesses of the past right like why do i believe jesus lots of reasons we we know he existed i mean even historical historians uh, admit that that he was real we have the testimony of millions who have experienced him we have the gospels that are fantastic historical accounts um we have that just that his message holds logic more than anything else right i have all this evidence that builds my my faith evidence is a friend to faith sometimes we think it's more admirable to have like blind faith where we just have no evidence Eh, i'm not so sure i think evidence is a friend to faith and can really build that faith build that confidence why do i believe in the bible same the science of textual criticism historical evidence consistency of the message character of god right i have this evidence that builds my faith the centurion heard about jesus he had evidence and that evidence combined with his understanding of authority resulted in this this remarkable faith i think that for us as a community and i will include myself in this most certainly i think in some areas of faith we're very strong but i think in some areas of faith we still need some work um i think that we are incredibly strong in a faith that says god can i think we're very strong in a faith that says god has the capability that god has the power that god can do something i think we're a bit weak though on a faith that says that god will i think that's the area where we need some growth is believing that god will do it can he do it of course most people would agree with that like we're all on the same page will god do it man better have a backup plan 
Our faith, I think, is strong that God can, but is weak in believing that God will choose to do something. How do you strengthen a faith that God will do something? I think is a better understanding and looking at what is it that God wants. What is the thing that God wants? And then if that isn't happening, what's the hang-up? What does God want? Right? Does he want to save that person? Does he want to heal that person? Does he want to free the person from, from the, you know, that hindrance? Because if God wants to do that thing, then I think we can have faith that God will do that thing. So what is it that God wants? And then how do we, how do we move forward and, and pursue that? And it can be tricky. I, I, I totally get that because it's not universal and it can be individualized. And sometimes what you know, we think is the good thing, God may think is not the best thing. The story of the Roman centurion is a great story. I, I hope it motivates you. I hope it inspires you. Um, I hope you are impressed by it. We should want to have faith like this man. The centurion believed what he heard about Jesus, so he had evidence. He had a deep understanding of authority that he learned from his profession. He recognized that Jesus was the hero, that he was not the hero. And he had a strong belief that Jesus could do this. And so he made a request, Jesus, will you? Do you want to do this? What is it that Jesus wants to do? What is it that Jesus wants to do in your life, in, our, in, in your home, in this church, and in this community? And I think that as we act on those things, I think we will see incredible miracles. And I think that is where we can really grow in faith. And those things will really grow our faith as we see those miracles take place. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this remarkable story of, of this centurion. Lord, thank you how it can inspire us. Thank you how it can inform us uh, and, and give us inspiration and direction. Thank you that in all of this, Lord, that you are the hero and we are uh, in all things ultimately looking to you uh, for rescue and for salvation and for day-to-day -day life. Lord, grow our faith. Grow our faith not just that you are capable, but that you are willing and that you want to do these things and that you will do these things. We love you, Jesus. We submit our full lives to you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.